foundation of what Ben Charrington hopes to build in Pittsburgh is rooted in one single concept, and that's teaching. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or hockey, I also offer up Daily Shots of Steelers and Penguins right where you found this. Alex Stumpf, the beat writer for us at DK Pittsburgh Sports, spent, well, a pretty long time over the course of the past few weeks putting together gradually between games, between series, an intensive, exhaustive, in-depth piece examining how the Pirates are going about player development. I can't recommend this strongly enough. Go to our website to dkpittsburghsports.com. Click on the Pirates logo near the top. You'll find it right there front and center. It's outstanding. It's one of the best pieces we've run on any subject since our company's launch seven years ago. It shows you, doesn't tell you, it shows you what it is that the Pirates are hoping to do. This is now the second time I'm using that term, hoping, because that's really all you can discuss and dissect at this phase. This management team, Charrington and everybody else, came into being in the winter following the 2019 season. And as everyone knows, the 2020 season at all of the minor league levels was completely wiped out. So we've basically seen the equivalent of one full calendar year, meaning from instructional league to instructional league, if you want to get into developmental terms. And there's a long, long, long way to go. Not just because the prospects involved, the better prospects are as young as they are, but because even the mechanisms involved in creating and perfecting a development system are so complex and so subject to change, and this one is subject to change way more than the one that came before it. And if there's one aspect of everything that's been done by Charrington, by Steve Sanders, his assistant, by John Baker, his farm director, it's that they have isolated player plans. And by that I mean this. When one person in the front office comes up with an idea of what should represent the way that the Pirates do things, the Pirates' way, to borrow from the Cardinals and the Twins. They will impose that almost universally throughout their system. And this is what happened under Neil Huntington and Kyle Stark. Have you ever noticed that I never mention one without the other? That's because I was around them for a decade and know that they were inseparable on absolutely everything. Stark was the one who oversaw the minor league system. No matter 
how many times his title changed. That's what the guy was doing. He was overseeing the minor league system. When they did put in other people into positions that he used to hold, he still was overseeing the minor league system. Fancied himself as some sort of military something or other, even though he had and has no military background. He was going to be the guy that makes the system behave this way, on and off the diamond. How were they going to act? How were they going to uh, carry themselves? How were they going to carry logs on the beach? But I digress. This group that's taken over has looked at each individual guy, not just the freak guys like the side armors or the knuckleballers, but each individual guy and recognizes that each one has his own needs. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by North Shore Tavern, home of Steak on a Stone, home of the planet's best baseball bar atmosphere, and now, once again, the home of the city's best fries. The fries are back. You know how things are just gradually coming back to normal in the world? You have not existed in this realm until you have gone to North Shore Tavern and or Mike's Beer Bar, the accompanying venture right next door, and had the fries with the various dips that come along with those fries. If you ever take one suggestion from me, one, let it be this one, and then let me hear from you as to what you think about the fries over at North Shore Tavern and Mike's. Remember when everybody was piling on to Ray Searage, especially after Garrett Cole and Charlie Morton and Tyler Glass now left and everyone was saying, oh, what a breath of fresh air it was for those guys to go somewhere else and not have to pitch to contact. Remember pitch to contact? You know who hated pitch to contact? Ray Searage. Ask me how I know. <laughs> okay? Not guessing at this one. So why did the Pirates do pitch to contact? Because Huntington and Stark wanted them to. That didn't come from anybody on the actual baseball field. They wanted pitch to contact. So what you had were pitchers who were capable of firing baseballs past bats almost effortlessly in all three of the cases that I just offered. Being told, nah, cut it down a little bit and try to get the out with just one pitch or two pitches because it'll make you more efficient and get you deeper into games. In fairness, for full context, the Pirates weren't the only team that thought that way, but they were among the last to think that way. Once the analytics began emerging and other priorities started taking place and teams stopped worrying so much, as to how deep the starters went and just thought to themselves instead, let's just get the best X number of innings out of them that we can. If you've got a guy who's a ground ball pitcher, he's going to be naturally more inclined to get ground balls and to pitch deeper. He 
got a strikeout pitcher, he's going to run up his count. Normal stuff. Normal stuff. In all three of the cases, Cole, Morton, Glasnow, they were born to be strikeout pitchers with the stuff that they have. When Bob Nutting fired all those guys, and I mean all of them, way more than I'd ever thought he would, he made clear that his number one irritant at the time was watching players like that leave and excel elsewhere when they could have excelled in Pittsburgh. He didn't want to see that continue. And as a result, that day, that very day, and Alex goes into this day in detail in his piece, when Nutting, Charrington, and Travis Williams, the CEO, sat with me and Alex in an office at PNC Park and told us what their plans were, what their expectations were, what their framework would be. It was based almost entirely on the concept of teaching players individually to their strengths, physically, mentally, and in every other way. What a concept. What a concept. Would there still be a thing like a pirate's way or something? Yes, as Derek Shelton has made clear uh, several times over the past couple of seasons, when the team pursues, oh, I don't know, a certain very specific situation on defense, there's going to be a Pirates way to do it. But when it comes to the individual components of the game, when it comes to how you swing a bat, how you throw a ball, how you defend even in some ways, it's going to be individualized. And that's the part of this story, the individual stories, and they're in there that I'm hoping have a chance to read this weekend. When we come back, just one question. Just one question, and today's J1Q, very predictably after the way I finished yesterday's show, is on this subject, and it comes from Bob, who says, I have no problem with your podcast at center on a salary cap system of any kind. The NFL, the NHL, and the NBA all seem to be pretty smart about business. They must be making money, don't you think? You know, I got a lot of response to that finish yesterday and almost all of it I can only think of like a handful of people who were like yeah you really need to start talking about something else which is what I wanted to do anyway so I agreed with them I didn't take that as some kind of slap in the face but the overwhelming sentiment was whatever you do don't stop pushing for a cap system, for a fair economic system that covers all of Major League Baseball. This isn't a Pittsburgh problem. I get that comeback a lot on social media. You know, oh, if your owner wasn't this or this isn't a Pittsburgh thing. 
Could nutting be spending more? Sure, we talk about that only all the time. Could the Orioles and other teams be spending more? No question. Would they be taking these desperate-looking approaches to whacking payroll down and building up from nothingness if they were in a cap system? No. So look at the cap system from that standpoint once in a while. If the worst thing about the Pirates, the very worst thing, was that they're owned by nutting. And you know, and you know he's not going to sell the team. And you want the Pirates to do well, then what's the next best thing on the list for you? If you're a Pirates fan, it would be the cap system. Why? Because, contrary to popular misperception, it's not just a ceiling. It's not just something that forces the Dodgers and a handful of other teams to spend less. It's a range that's created. That's what a cap system is. It's a range. There's a ceiling and there's a floor. Well, then the next thing that comes in, Nutting will never spend to the floor. Of course he will. He has to. It's the rules. It's the collective bargaining agreement. Well, then he'll sell if he's forced to spend. No, he won't, because every cap system also comes with greatly expanded revenue sharing. So every team is guaranteed to have enough funding to spend into that range. Well, then the range will be so great that you'll always see the pirates being at the bottom. Okay, does anyone know how big the range is in the NFL, in the NHL, and in the NBA? Believe it or not, all three leagues have virtually identical ranges. Know what it is? 20 million bucks. Nothing. Virtually nothing. Why do you think you never hear anyone who follows any team in any of those three leagues ever talk about who's spending what? Who's at the cap? Who's at the floor? Who's at the whatever? Why? Because the ranges are so small. That's a dream come true for baseball in Pittsburgh, regardless of who is the owner. If it were for whatever insane reason to force nutting to sell, which it won't, then you have a doubly beautiful outcome to the whole thing. And yet all I hear from people around here is, you're buying an excuse for nutting da, 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 by talking about cap. Look, make whatever level of villain out of this guy you want to. Okay, go nuts. Go nuts. That doesn't impact me in any direction at all. My larger concern and what I have followed and then covered my whole life is the Pittsburgh Pirates as an institution. Regardless of who owned them, who generally managed them, who managed them, who played for them. None of that changing at any point in time has ever altered what the focus is. It's the institution. 
the institution that is the Pittsburgh Baseball Club is in an infinitely better spot if they have a cap system. And if you don't believe me, go ask Art Rooney II. Go ask Mario Lemieux and Ron Burkle. Ask them where the Steelers and where the Penguins would be in their respective leagues without the cap. And you know what else? If you get them in a weak moment, ask them where their respective teams would rank in payroll in the NFL and the NHL. The answer will not bring a smile to your face. Be very, very grateful that those teams play in cap leagues and continue by all means to be as cynical as you can be about baseball now being the only exception. I don't even know if I answered your question. All you did was push the button and just watch me go on this. I appreciate that. I appreciate everybody listening. And you know what? I, I really appreciate more than anything else this particular week, the feedback. Um, I'm not going to ever be open to uh, you know putting up for a survey what should i think or what should i discuss this one struck me as being important and i spent the better part of the past week on this subject it's just it's it's so much bigger than anything else that we discuss about this team it really, really is i appreciate everything let's do this again monday